morning. It's indeed a blessing to be back at home here again. We were here several weeks ago, or I was here several weeks ago when we initially came here. <coughs> and uh, left Grandma here in our American home and I traveled all over elsewhere, America and Mexico, and got back last night from uh, several weeks of training teachers and a week of doing workshop situations in in old Mexico with the with the Amish brethren. <coughs> Indeed, a, a work of encouragement, a work that is we see results, we're seeing blessings. It was a it was good to be involved it was good to see the work of God going on people's hearts being changed thank you I'm still working through 1st Peter here and so we'd like to look at the next section 1st Peter chapter 2 You remember this book of Peter has been written especially to Christians who are going through a difficult time period. They're scattered all over and they're going through difficulties because they are children of God. Because they're being faithful to the Lord and Peter is writing to them and he is encouraging them in their walk of faith. And the portion we're looking at this morning is verses 18 through 21 of chapter 2. And I've entitled it, The Employee Under Stress. I know some of us are employees and some of us are not. Some of us are self-employed and others are employers. There's a variety here. But I hope that we can all take some principles out of this passage this morning. You know, first of all, God, God... Some people feel that work came because men fell into sin. And that's not true. Work was here a long time before the fall of man ever showed up, before that happened. Work is just is part of God's creation. Work is part of being faithful to God because God, God worked. And the Bible says he worked. And then he rested from his labors. And, and he commanded men to work. Definitely, some of the efforts that we have to put into our work are different now than what they would have been before the fall. Very likely. Some of the results of our work are definitely different than what they would have been before the fall. In fact, uh, God did promise and predict that because of the fall of man, man's labors would be hard and sometimes not very successful according to man's way of thinking. But we are to work and sometimes we wonder sometimes people wonder why work? What's the purpose of work? I'd like to just give you several reasons and then go into this passage but and then I'll talk to the children a bit first. Why work? <coughs> Well, because God does. And we're supposed to be like God. 
Um, the scripture gives no one the the blessing of being lazy <laughs> or of doing nothing. In fact, the scripture really doesn't even focus a lot on being retired. Uh, definitely, I do feel as people get older, the it takes more effort to do some of the normal natural things and uh, in life, and and that then affects also how work is done. But work is part of being obedient to God. And we do it to please God because he said we're supposed to do this. The Bible says we're supposed to work so we have something to give. And I trust that what we shared this morning to help benefit others is because of the results of some of our labors. <coughs> and that should be I know that there's a bit of a, riot, a saying that goes, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. And I guess there comes a stage in life where that seems to be the major effort of, of getting financial gain is in order to, to somehow get ahead. But uh, how, how often do we think about, well, I'm going to work so I can be a blessing to other people. How often does is that part of our of our work ethic, our work motive? Of course, we are to work so we can provide for, provide for ourselves and for our family. The Scripture says if we don't do that, we're worse than infidels. That is that is why we work. We're, we work so we can be useful people, profitable people, people that can make a contribution instead of being someone that's just that's just taking. We can be a giver. Not everybody can work equally well or equally much. Our work is of different natures. And I believe we're supposed to work so that we can prevent evil. Because a lot of evil comes out of a lack of work. Lack of meaningful work. Um, because of idleness and these type of things, uh, there, there's a lot of evil that happens. And children, I'd like to just share with you just a little bit. And that has to do with working. It's interesting. Children and work sometimes have a hard time getting along. Somehow work is not always something that, that children or older people find most pleasant. Um, children, how many... Do you... Well, would you do you girls? Would you rather do dishes at someone else's house than at your house? If you have to do dishes anyway, likely, likely, because that's something new. It's something different. You do it with someone different, right? But there's still dishes. You still use water. You still use. I mean, you do it this. You don't wash dishes different elsewhere than what you do at home. It's still the same thing. It's because uh, we're with other people. It's because it's different. Some things are different. So we like working elsewhere better than we like working what we know we're supposed to do regularly. You know what? Sometimes big people are a bit that way too. They are. That's why I travel around so much because it's always new. <laughs> Sometimes it's new to be at home, by the way. 
But it's important, children, that we have a good attitude regardless of where we work. If we do it at home or if we do it for other people, that we have a good attitude, even if it's regular chores, the things you do every day, gather eggs, wash dishes, sweep floor, make beds, mow yard, whatever, I don't know what you all do for, for chores, for work. A lot of it has to do with, with, our, with attitude. And it actually, it helps make work a little easier if we have the right attitude. Sometimes we just have to decide, okay, this is what we do because we have to do it. I have to do that sometimes. And we get it done. Sometimes it takes a lot longer and we do a lot poorer job simply because we didn't make some very good decisions while doing it. We have to have a good attitude even if the work is hard. You know, people don't get strong. Big, strong men don't get strong by doing easy work and easy exercise. They get strong by doing hard work, by really putting effort and a little more every time if possible. That's what helps them. You really don't learn well in school if it's just easy stuff because you know the easy stuff. But if the lessons are hard, now teachers don't make them extra hard, but we make them hard enough so that, so that we're learning, that we're working. But you know, we even need to do, have a good attitude if the work is boring. Now I hope you children never use that word. I worked with a teacher, she did not allow her students to use that word in school. She said, boring is a choice. A person chooses to be bored. But sometimes the work is the same thing, same thing, same thing. Guess what? You're going to grow up and you're going to do a lot of the same thing, same thing, same thing. Probably for a long time. See, better get used to it. We need a good attitude about work even if you don't feel like it. Sometimes we just don't feel like it. And we have to make a decision. We have to decide. I'm going to feel like it. And we need to have a good attitude. Does it make a difference? Who told you to do the work? Mom and dad? School teacher? Or somebody else? Shouldn't make a difference. You know, I read a little story about a, boy, about a, a, a man who wanted to hire a boy. So he put an advertisement in the paper. This is what the advertisement said. Wanted for a store. Maybe Brother David put this in the store. I don't know. Wanted for a store. A boy that obeys his mother. That's a very good quality if you want to work. That you learn to obey those whom you know you should obey. So work work is a good thing. 
Work is a very good thing. Now let's look at our passage of Scripture this morning. Peter writing to the Christians says this, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the fraud. For this is thankworthy of a man of, for conscience toward God endure grief and suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye are buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently? But if, if you, when ye do well and suffer for it ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even thereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. We're going to cut it right there. Servants, be subject. These servants that Paul is, that Peter is addressing, in most cases were household servants, household slaves. Likely most of them had masters that were not Christian, were pagans. In the Roman Empire at this time, it's believed that there were probably 60 million of these all over. They did all the work, even the professional work. Even professionals were slaves very often. And they did all the work that needed to be done. Slaves were not permitted to marry if they had a partner it was a cohabitation situation. And children born out of these type of relationships were owned then by the master. They were not the, um, the eventual final responsibility of those that were father and mother to the child. Basically a slave was a living speaking tool. He wasn't really even considered a person or she. It was just was different than an animal in that it could think and talk. But other than that, similar. And Peter is writing to these kinds of slaves. He says, servants, be subject to your masters. The word masters here is the word despodai, which means someone who has absolute ownership and uncontrolled power over his property. And he says, be subject to them. Submit, be obedient to them. In the same way that the verse is used in 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of, the, of man for the Lord's sake. The same word. And Peter says, be subject with all fear, with all respect, with all reverence for God and for his control in his providential ways with mankind. So be respectful, be reverent because of God. Not just to those masters that are good and gentle, considerate, mild, yielding, reasonable, fair, kind. Not just to those. But even to those that are forward, Unfair, surly, adverse. The word really means those that are curved, not straight. Those that are awkward and difficult to deal with. You're supposed to be 
subject even to those. If you are a Christian employee, <coughs> you act no different to one kind than to the other. Because it's about you and your relationship with God and your testimony to God, not about how the other person is treating you. Very likely, some of these Christian slaves brought conviction to their heathen masters and their heathen masters would maybe not always treat them kindly because they were Christians. Although, I would hope that a Christian slave or a Christian employee would always be better than a pagan one. Now what does it mean to be submit, submissive in an employee servant situation? I have four things here that I'd like to share quickly this morning. First of all, it involves obedience. In uh, Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul is writing to the believers there and he says how how uh, believers are to be acting toward their employees employers and he says servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling out of respect in singleness of heart I mean sincerity and loyalty as unto Christ really you're not serving a master you're not serving a boss you're serving God. So do what you do as if you're serving Him. Not just serving with eye service as men pleasers so that you can just keep on the good side of the boss. But rather conscientious from the heart. You do it whether he's around or not. Just yesterday the, the older... Well, oh, I'm giving away my age... Um, this couple's my age. But anyway, they, they, they took me from Coctemoc to, to El Paso. And it, this man is a farmer. Uh, and so we were talking, and he employs a number of, of um, some Mexican employees and as well as some Tarahumara Indian employees. And uh, he was talking about uh, how, some of with, how things work with his employees. And some of them are basically... One of them they actually had to let go and he was suspicious of him because he felt that this fellow was coming back and taking things from from there, from his from his uh, farm. But anyway, he says that this was the kind of fellow when you didn't, if you didn't keep your eye on him, he didn't, he wasn't very good at producing either. Then he'd loiter and and talk and just you know stuff like that. But basically, the only time he that he was really up to what he should be. He was a good worker if you kept your eye on him. And Paul writes, he says, that's, that's, not, that, that's not a Christian servant. It isn't. But rather, he says, doing the will of God from the heart with a sense of enthusiasm. Do it well. Because you're going to be recognized by the Lord. Moving over to Colossians, secondly, to be submissive involves Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. 
Paul writing there and, and using many similar statements, he says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. But he addresses, I understand, the focus is there on being a faithful servant. Not just an obedient one, but to be true, trustworthy. There are some that are some that will obey the letter. It's another thing to be faithful. Be, there are some people that you know they will obey, but you still can't trust them. There's a difference. God expects of us not just stark obedience, but a faithfulness as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we again have how people should be responding. Verse 1, Let as many servants as are under the yoke, see, a bit of a slave situation, count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine not be, be not blasphemed. Oh, so this has, this has to do with my reputation as a Christian. The way I work. The faithfulness I have to my job. And let them that have believing masters, and, and they that have believing masters, and that should be a privilege if you have a godly master. Let them not despise them because they are brethren. Ah, Sometimes it's easy. Well, because we belong to the same church you shouldn't have quite the same expectations of me. You should be able to... I should be able to get away with some things or you should be a little bit more you know, generous to me or all this type of stuff. And, and Paul says to Timothy, that's, that's not how it works. The advantage of having a Christian employer is that you have one. Don't take advantage of it as an employee. So, don't despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit, because they share the kingdom of God with you. They're part of the family of God with you. <coughs> so, there, we need to be respectful. Then over in Titus, Chapter 2, verse 9. Paul encourages Titus. And he says, Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. They're not supposed to be answering again. That means talking back, contradicting, bad-mouthing, not purloining. That means pilfering, taking stuff. But rather, they're supposed to be, have fidelity, to be loyal, reliable, trustworthy. That's all part of being submissive 
to a master. In the rest of the verses of our text this morning, Peter gives us why. Verse 19, he says, For this is thankworthy. We're supposed to do this because it's thankworthy. What does it mean to be thankworthy? <clears throat> thankworthy, it has a twofold meaning. First of all, to be thankworthy, it is commendable. It's an action that is uh, probably more than is expected. It should be something that is appreciated. But the word thankworthy is also especially on the use in the New Testament to speak of, in other places, of the grace of God. and refers to God stepping down from his throne of judgment and an infinite love rescuing man so that the law's requirements could be met. It's a favor done by a generous God for undeserving individuals, which we, we would call that grace. It's the same word. For this is thankworthy. For this is a demonstration of grace. Because we, we show our real colors, our real character, our real inner life as a Christian this way. For this is thankworthy. What is thankworthy? If a man, for conscience sake, toward God, Endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Now I know we live in an era and in a place in the world where uh, employers need to treat employees with respect and consideration and there's all kinds of laws. And uh, that is, most of that is good. That is good. That's not everywhere this way in the world today. And when Peter was addressing these people, it wasn't that way at all. Like I said, these people were slaves. They were treated like property. A, a, a master could do with a slave as he wished. Just like he could do with his animal or with his tool. It didn't matter. It was his. He could use it the way he wanted. Abuse it the way he wanted. And Peter says here, this, this, is, this is a consciousness toward God. A Christian slave should have a conscious sense of, of his relationship with God. He has a testimony to maintain, a Christ to model after. And so for a lot of these slaves, for them to become a Christian... It, it changed their whole perspective on, on everything that they did in life. Not only did they now have a new master above their master, but they, they're to have a new attitude about how to relate to the master that may even be very abusive and unkind to them. And you can't say that's not fair. You couldn't do that. You demonstrate the grace of God. I wonder what some of our labor unions would say if they really would take this verse to heart. Now 
because of the grace of God in this servant slave. The Christian slave can demonstrate grace even in the face of unfairness, injustice and wrongful suffering that he encounters. And Peter says it's just a way of showing God's grace. When you are submissive, respectful, obedient because you are a child of God. Because you have a master above your master. And secondly, why are they to respond this way? Because this is acceptable with God. Verse 20. For what glory is it if when you're buffeted for your faults, you take them patiently? Peter asks, you know that if you do something wrong, you have to accept the consequences. What credit are you going to... I mean... What credit are you going to get if, if you do the wrong thing? You're going to get what you deserve. I understand that word buffet means to pummel with a fist, just to pound somebody with a fist. And we know, and he says, you know that if you have it coming, you have it coming. You bear it patiently. That's reasonable. But he says basically, even if it is unfair and unjust, bear it just as patiently. If you do well and then suffer, you take it patiently. This is acceptable to God. When you are mistreated for doing right, because it shows who you are, This is thankworthy. This is acceptable. This is commendable. This has the quality of the grace of God. So as this kind of a servant was being pummeled and, and fist uh, hit kind of thing, he was to remember Christ. For he says, For hereunto you called. This is who you are. So thirdly, why? Because we're called unto this. This is just part of being a Christian. This is just part of being a disciple, of being a follower of Jesus. You're called to this because Christ also suffered and he says, you are left us an example, we should follow his steps. <coughs> a, a copy we're supposed to follow. I understand that that word that we're supposed to follow is to step into the same footprints. Walk that same kind of walk. What did Jesus do? We could take a fair bit of time. I'm not going to read all these verses. But Jesus taught us three things. He said, I will suffer. Jesus said. He predicted that and he says, I'm going to suffer. He also said he would suffer for others. It wasn't for something that... It wasn't because he had done something wrong. The suffering he would do was for the benefit of others, totally because of others. But he would become the sufferer for others. And thirdly, he said, he told us that we are to be prepared to suffer as well. 
as he did. True, it's not going to have the same benefit, the same result. Christ suffered so that we could be redeemed from sin. Our suffering will never produce that. But as children of God, as followers of Christ, suffering is not something that should be totally foreign or unexpected. It's hard. We don't want it. We don't, we don't welcome it. Or we don't do things to make it happen, I hope. But see, there are a lot of people even in today's world for whom suffering is just reality. And they say, well, this is just part of the cost of being a Christian. It is. By suffering unjust for un unjust way, unjust things, that gives a very powerful testimony of the grace of God. And really it's a demonstration of power, not of weakness. By suffering silently, Christ pleased the Father. He won God's approval and our salvation. And so this places the whole thing of suffering on a whole new plane, a whole new level. And these slaves would take comfort in this. That by doing the right thing and then being mistreated wrongly, they were like Jesus. That's what it meant in their experience to be like Christ. And Jesus was successful in going through difficulties which give them hope and comfort they can too. Sometimes we feel that once we're at the bottom of things we can't go further. It can't be this way and it can't go on this way. These slaves could say Jesus knows what this is all about. He's gone through the similar thing. He made it. That gives us hope gives us comfort that we can do the same thing. Now how can we apply this to our experience where we are in America today? Just briefly. I hope that we can use our, our employment, whether it's employer, employee, self-employment, whatever, that we can use it as a place to witness for God. <clears throat> it's not just a place where we spend 40 hours a week trying to gain financially. But it's a place where we demonstrate God's grace. It's a place where others see a picture of Christ as they watch us, as they relate to us, and so on. That, that we are there as a witness. That we're there as a testimony of Jesus to others. That we're there to minister to others. That we're there because we care about them. Because we care about Christ. So it can bring glory to God. And hopefully, it can be pleasant to us as well. I found something interesting in one of the opening songs that we sang this morning. Now, I'm not going to read the entire song, but in song 440 we sang, For me to live is Christ, to die is endless gain. For him I'll gladly bear the cross 
and welcome grief and pain. A pilgrimage my lot, my home is in the skies. I nightly pitch my tent below and daily higher rise. One more verse. I fare with Christ my Lord, his path, the path I choose. The, they joy, these people joy, who suffer most with him. They win, who with him lose. That's where it's at. It sounds mixed up, but it's true.